0: All right, well, uh, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well on this beautiful Sunday morning. All right, actually, I'm just going to get a little situated here. All right, so um, when I was growing up in my church, I grew up in the church, Um, my parents tried to teach me uh, what it meant to be generous or to to start in this discipline of of giving. And so each Sunday, my mom would give me this nice, crisp dollar bill so that I would give as an offering for that day. And so maybe, you know, on that Sunday, you know, the children's ministry. I don't know if you ever grew up with that practice, Um, but it was was nice because, you know, my mom was trying to give me this dollar bill so that I would learn that this, this dollar bill is something that I can give towards the church. And so I remember, you know, as a, this, this all started really young. And I remember as a five-year-old kid, my deceptive mind started turning. And so I decided that I didn't need to give this nice dollar bill to God. And so I figured out that if I just held on to this dollar bill and pretended like I put something into the offering basket when it came around and then just held it in my hand, I'd be okay. And I'd actually hold on to this dollar bill and I have it. And so I was like, wow, this is really easy to just kind of steal this money. And then I also figured, you know, there's so much candy that I could buy with just this one dollar bill. And so then I had this huge idea, and so I thought, you know, I'm going to tell all my friends. So I ended up getting like a, a good amount of my friends. I told them this idea, hey, you know you could hold on to your dollar bill? You know the one that your, your parents give you? You could pretend like you're giving it into it and then just hold on to it and, and not actually give it. And so, you know, I remember it was like we were this, like, posse of kids. It was like we were a posse of bandits. We would go, and we'd get the dollar bills from our parents, and then we'd go, and the offering basket came around. We'd pretend like we were giving it, and then we'd hold on to it. And then right after church, there was a candy store right near where our church was on the corner, and we'd go and buy all this candy. And back then, you could buy a lot of candy with just a dollar, okay? And and so we, we would buy all this candy. And no one knew until maybe a couple maybe a few weeks later, because it was a little bit more obvious when it was like you have 12 kids in, in, your, in your class, right? And they all, all the teachers knew that the parents were giving them a dollar bill to give towards as offering, and yet, so there's 12 kids, and then there's, when they, they count the basket at the end, there's like $4 in there, and they're like, something's, something's up here, right? And so we ended up getting caught eventually. But I, I just thought it was, it was just a terrible thing in which here I was as a little kid learning or teaching others to steal from, from God where my father was actually the senior pastor at the church and he's the one trying to teach everyone to, to be generous in the way that they give, okay? And so I'm really hoping that my daughters don't take after their dad and, and start stealing things left and right. But, but I'm pretty sure if they have my genes, they're probably going to be pretty rebellious like me. But, but I hope God would do something just miraculous with them. But, you know, when we think about generosity, you know, generosity is a trait that many people admire. No one admires a person that, that's cheap. No one admires a person that's always holding back, not wanting to share with others. But we see in Scripture that God delights when, when He sees His children radically generous people, right? And we realize in the act of giving, when it, when it really comes down to it, It's actually a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual discipline that is very connected to our spiritual lives. We're in a message series called A Life Well-Invested, where we're exploring how we can fully invest our resources, our time, our treasures, our talents, our lives to something that's more important than our own selves. Last week, Pastor Wayne kicked off the series by talking about the decisions we make each and every day we are making investments. And Pastor Wayne encouraged us and he challenged us by saying that the very best investment that you could ever make is to invest your life into following God. Today, what I wanted to talk about was how do we invest our treasures, our money, and how can we become radically generous people? Because what we end up finding out is that your spiritual life is very much related to the way in which you invest your treasures, your money. You will never see significant growth in your spiritual life if you don't put money and your attitude about money into God's hands. And for a lot of us, the topic of money becomes a very sensitive subject that, that we don't really want to talk about. We, we don't believe that it's connected to our spiritual lives. I heard this illustration from a pastor once, but it really helped to, to, make, this all, you know, to, to make sense of all of this. Let's say you went to a doctor. And you told her or him that you were having sleeping problems. And you felt, you know, fatigued. You felt like you were sluggish. And you wanted to find out how you'd be able to cure this ailment, to fix whatever you're dealing with. And so then your doctor comes back to you and he says, okay, listen, if we're going to figure out what's causing all of this, I'm going to have to ask you some questions. I'm going to have to ask you some questions about how you're eating. How much you're sleeping, I guess, and, and how is your, your work-life balance? You know, what, what, are you dealing with a lot of stress? Are you dealing with a lot of anxiety? Right? How, how's your relationship with, with your family? Maybe, maybe that's causing something, right? And, and he, he says all these different questions to you, and then you respond back and you say, okay, why do we need to know all those other things? Why don't you stick to the physical aspects, doctor, right? Well, why do you have to ask me all these questions about, you know, my work life? Why do you have to ask me these questions about my, my relationships with other people? You know, I, I don't think you need to know any of those things. And then the doctor says back, no, 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 I need to know these factors because if we're going to really narrow it down and figure out how we can better help you, I need to know those other things. And I think it's the same way with our attitude with money and our spiritual lives. We say to God, I want to grow spiritually, but I don't want to talk about how I handle my money. That's my business, and it's off limits. We, we can talk about other things, like my prayer life, I guess, but, but let's not talk about how I use my money. That's a topic that I don't think God needs to talk about, and I very much don't think that's a topic that I want to hear from the pastor. Right? Will we honestly believe that? If we skip over this topic that, that we will continue to grow in our spiritual lives. But the only way that you'll see significant spiritual growth is if you are willing to change your attitude of money and learn to become financially generous people. And so, get, to get a better idea of what that looks like, what does radical generosity look like, we're going to turn to the scriptures. So, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your, your phone, uh, Bible apps, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to look through 6 through 15. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can just kind of look up onto the screen. All right. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15. Remember this. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of God. Would you just join me in a prayer as we ask God to bless this time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for who you are. We thank you, God, Lord, that you are, are a generous God, that you are a loving and almighty and awesome God. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your, your truth that you lay out in your scripture. And so I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate your truth to us, God, that you would allow us to be challenged uh, by what you, what you have to say uh, concerning our treasures and, and our money. And I pray, Lord, that it would challenge us to, to move towards just more and more spiritual growth, God. And so would you open up our hearts, God? Would you open up our minds so that we would be able to hear from you and learn what it means to be a true disciple of you when we follow after you, uh, even in the attitude in which we look at our own money? God? Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the scripture we just read, um, the Apostle Paul is actually the author of this letter in, in 2 Corinthians, and, and, he, and he outlines actually different principles in there that help us th- to become radically generous people. And, and to put it all in context before we kind of dive into to what he has to say, um, this is actually an appeal to the church in Corinth. And, and, and so Paul, what's happening here is that Paul has actually been going around to the various church communities to raise funds for the people in Jerusalem. And what had been happening at the time was that there was this huge famine that had broke out in the area of Jerusalem, and there were numerous people that were in need. And so there there was this huge financial and economic straits which led to, to hunger and starvation. So the Apostle Paul is petitioning to raise some funds to help this community of people. And what's interesting to note is that Paul is asking for financial support from the church in Corinth. And the people in the Corinth church were not wealthy people. They, they weren't a bunch of people that had loads of cash lying around. They, were, they weren't people that were living with, you know, just these really nice cars or something back in the day, or I guess wagons or whatever, horses that they might have, or, or maybe they had these luxurious robes or something. They weren't those kind of people. Instead, they were, they were a church of people who were probably strapped for cash, people who were living from paycheck to paycheck, But yet, Paul appeals to this community of believers to be generous, and he commends them for the radical generosity as they do respond to be generous. And so, in the passage, Paul outlines three principles for living in financial and radical generosity. And the first thing that he makes a point of is, what does our generosity look like? How does a financially generous person act? And so, take a look with me at verse 6. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows sparingly will also reap generously. So so Paul is speaking about this idea of sowing and reaping, and he's referring to how we handle our finances and money. And he's not referring to our energy or our time in that way. He's actually specifically talking about money and how we invest these resources. And so he uses a principle or analogy that many people really understood. Right? I'm sure many of you actually have even heard the saying before, "You reap what you sow." Right? And so Paul is giving the statement that if you sow generously, you will reap the benefits of it generously. But if you sow cheaply, or if you sow sparingly, you'll end up reaping sparingly. Right? It's, it's a pretty straightforward idea. Right? And, and Paul then refers to it in terms of a uh, farming the idea of farming and sowing. And so, if you were to take this idea of, of a farmer who had all these seeds in, in a bucket, right? What you see is you see a person, a farmer is trying to have a huge harvest. What would they do? They'd be generous with the way in the which they give their seeds, right? So, they'd go and they spread it out, right? You, you don't see a farmer taking their, their bucket and going, taking one piece out and, and, and flicking it and saying, okay, I hope I get a, a big harvest now if I flick a few of them out onto the, onto the ground, right? And so Paul is giving this analogy that, that, that makes sense for the people during that time, that if you sow generously like a farmer would, then you'll reap generously. You'll have a huge harvest. But if you sow sparingly, you're not going to get anything back out of that. And so the question then becomes, how do you respond to that understanding? That if you reap sparingly, you'll also sow sparingly. If you reap generously you'll also reap, you'll, you'll, you'll sow generously. Because many of you are probably thinking again, okay, all right, but God, you don't know my financial situation. I've got bills to pay, I've got kids to feed and take care of, there, there are things that have been waiting and saving up to buy, right? Whatever it might be. And, and so we give these reasons to God that, that we're not in a place to be able to give or that we don't have the means to give generously. Or, or maybe you also do this thing, you say, but I don't have as much money as that, that brother or that sister. They have so much more money than I do, right? And, and so I don't have as much money as them, and so I can't, I can't be as generous. Right? I, I can't give that much. And so we get caught up with the quantity of how much we are able to give. But here's the thing. God has given each of us different sizes. I brought this up as a a visual illustration, okay? This is my daughter's Hello Kitty bucket, okay? And and so maybe God has actually blessed you with this huge bucket where you have thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds, right? But maybe some of you have more of a normal-sized bucket, right? And you have, you know, just the normal amount of seeds so that you can be able to give. But some of you may have a small cup, and maybe that's that's all you have, but if you think about it, what would be the benefit if you were one of those individuals that had this huge bucket of seeds, and you were really cheap with it? You had the picture of the farmer who has this but huge bucket, and they're just like, hmm, here we go. I think that's good. Whereas you have someone else who has this, this cup, this tiny cup. And, and, and in contrast, they're also they're so generous with it. They take their cup and they say, you know what? Let's let it rain, right? They throw it in the air, right? and Let, let it go all around. And they sow generously. You know, Jesus stated in Mark 12, when he saw a poor widow give in two little coins, And Jesus tells his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So Jesus takes notes of the generous givers who give in proportion to what God has blessed them with. And I realize when we talk about giving, right, there's often some questions regarding, again, the amount Usually the main question when it comes to tithing and giving is, okay, so then how much am I supposed to give? And the idea of tithing actually comes from the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament, like passages in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there was this understanding that a tithe for the Israelites was actually the initial 10% of all that you produced. So the requirement was that for the people of God who were an agricultural nation, that all that they produced, they would give their 10% to God, to the building of, of God's kingdom, right? To add to that, there was actually often these other different offerings that, that took place. There were different special offerings that would happen maybe every few years. There were different things that would happen dependent on the month, right? And so if you combine all of those things, actually, it ends up becoming about 23.3% of people's earnings It was the amount that they would actually give to To the church or to the to the building of the temple right but when it comes down to it what we look back now now we look into the new testament we we say that okay now the the understanding is is that we give 10 percent 10 percent is the base point the minimum in which the israelites were actually required to give to god's church to god's temple and for us that's the local church that's that's us Now, naturally, the next question that's often raised when it comes to tithing now in current times is then this question of do you tithe from your gross salary or do you tithe from your your net salary, right? People have to ask that question. And I'm not going to answer that question and say, all right, this is how you're supposed to do it because there's actually pastors that have discussed this before. And I think most people who go with the idea of tithing from your gross salary will cite the fact that the Israelites gave 10% of their first fruits to God. Right? So the, this idea was that before any taxes or insurance were, were taken out of your salary, you would take that 10% from that original amount. But tithing from your gross salary could be difficult for some people. It's a, it's a difficult task. And so for some, for some people, it's, it's a challenge. But then there's also others that will say that, okay, it's okay to, to tithe from, from your, your, your net salary. right? And they'll, say, they'll cite things from the New Testament saying that there was never really any explicit teaching regarding how much you're supposed to give, right? So people on the side will say, as long as you're giving, you know, in the range of 10%, that that's all that matters. And I don't want to get into the the technicality of all of this. My only suggestion is, is that you would just be consistent. If you tithe from your net salary, then, you know, when you get a tax refund, I'm hoping that you would actually tithe from that as well, okay? So just be consistent in the way that you do. But all of these questions are revolved around the technicality of giving. And I believe there's a danger when we focus too much on that, because if we focus too much on the technicality of how much you give, there becomes this, this tendency to become judgmental and legalistic about it. And when we do that, I feel like we, we miss the point about financial generosity. In the ministry of Jesus. Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees for how they would practice their righteousness of giving, right? They, they, would, they would give all of this so that they would look so much more holier than they were, right? And so we often see that, they, that the Pharisees would do that. They would, they would focus in on, on the legalistic aspect of giving, and so they would give a lot, but they would be very you know, clear in sh- making sure that everybody saw how they were giving. And oftentimes what ended up happening was that the Pharisees were the very same people that excluded the, the poor from entering into the temple because they weren't able to give as much as they were able to give, right? And so there's a potential danger when it comes to focusing on the, the technical aspects of, of the nitty-gritty, I guess, of the amount of giving. But the main thing that I did want to say, though, is that when it comes to tithing and giving, it's a process, it's a spiritual muscle. I, I totally understand and when people say that it's really difficult to be able to give and to be able to give generously, because it is. Let's be honest with it. it it's, it's a difficult task. But I believe it's that if we're actually going to grow in our spiritual lives, we actually have to work out this spiritual muscle of being able to give generously. If you want to grow in it, you've got to challenge yourself to give, be able to give more with God, what God's blessed you with. And, you know, there's, a, there's grace in giving as well, right? Not everyone is, is at the same place of being able to give generously. Some of you might be just starting out in giving, and so you're not fully there at the, the 10% of being able to give. But maybe you can challenge yourself. How could I give more this upcoming year? Maybe increase my giving by, by 1% or something, right? And some of you who may be already at this 10% and you, and you feel like you're, you're able to give generously, maybe God's challenging you. How could you give more? It's a spiritual muscle that we can continue to grow in, and it is a journey that we grow in as well. Because when you give, you're actually investing in something that's eternal. Jesus stated in Matthew 6, 19 to 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not steal, destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're asked to give generously because there's no point in storing things here on earth. Right? We can store all these different things, but when we die, we can't bring it with us. What's the point of, of storing a bounty of things, money, possessions, and then lose our lives and leave it all here? Instead, God gives us a smarter investment of giving to the ways in which we build the kingdom of God, an investment that lasts for eternity. So the intention of our giving is actually to invest in something eternal or something that will actually last forever, and that's been coined as the treasure principle. My former pastor, he he shared with me how he ended up meeting uh, with Rick Warren, and you may know who Rick Warren is. He's actually the pastor of, of Saddleback Church. And he's also the author of uh, this famous book that most people know about, right? P- the Purpose-Driven Life. right? And so he was in the New York City area, and so he was meeting with all these different pastors. And so as they were sitting down and they were actually eating a meal, they were eating meal and they were asking Pastor Rick Warren, you just did different things about ministry. And so they would ask him, you know, how, how, how were things, how did, you, how did you plant your church, you know, how did you balance different things here and there. And so, you know, Pastor Rick was just sharing all these different things. And then finally, he actually makes the statement, he says to them, pastors, if you're not experiencing joy in your giving, then your giving is in vain. And so all the, all the other pastors around them are like, what, 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 what do you mean by that? And so he explained how there needs to be this sense of joy when you give, a sense of understanding that you're giving is something that is an investment in towards eternal things. And then he shared about his own experience. He shared about how when he first planted Saddleback Church, that, that it was just a handful of people and he felt like he really struggled with being able to tithe. He felt like money was tight, it was really difficult, but yet he felt like he needed to be challenging it. So he said, you know what, even though it's really difficult for me to give, and I'm not actually making that much money in planting this church, I'm going to decide to give an extra 1% every year. And so he said, he, he tried to make that commitment, and he said it was really difficult, it was really tough. Right? But then he shared to the other pastors in that room, and he says, you can never outgive God. Right? And so he said as his giving started to increase, he realized that God was actually ending up giving back to him, putting more things into his life. And of course many of you know that he, he made that, that book, he wrote that book, The, the Purpose Driven Life, and it ended up selling more than forty-two million I mean, 42 million copies. And so Pastor Rick was sharing that when he first served, received that the royalties check from, from the selling of that book, he said that there was, he'd never seen a check with that many zeros before in his life. Okay. But he shared that he believed that the only reason that he actually was able to, to have that tremendous blessing was because he felt like God knew that Rick would remain faithful in his riches just like he was faithful when he was in need. And he then shared that God had given him the money not so that his standard of living could be raised but that a standard of giving would be raised instead. And so since that time that the that, that book was a huge success, Rick Warren actually paid back all of his salary from the church, and he doesn't take a salary from, from Saddleback anymore. And now he does a thing called reverse tithing. He actually gives 90% of the profits that he receives from his sales, right? and he holds on to the 10% that he gets. And, and that's still a significant amount of money to begin with. But, but, but he shares, though, that, that he loves being able to give generously. He loves being able to give to different organizations. He loves to be able to give to his own local church. And he loves being able to invest in things that are eternal. See, the challenge for us is to know that you can never outgive God. When you give to the building of God's kingdom through investments that are eternal, you'll see that God will outgive you, not in more financial riches in return but that you will give generously and God will outgive you by giving you relational equity. Not financial equity, relational equity. In that you'll start to see how God blesses you with deeper relationships in your friendships, in your family relationships, with opportunities to love more, opportunities to to bring life transformation into different parts of the world. And I guarantee when you push yourself to try to outgive God, you'll find that God will always outgive you. It's a, it's a crazy challenge if you really think about it. If you challenge yourself to try to outgive God, you'll find that you'll lose. You'll lose, but God will outgive you and give back to you through different relational equity that you'll receive, different opportunities where you can invest in things that are eternal. And so I, I challenge you how can you consider where you can challenge yourself to be able to give more generously? The second principle that Paul addresses about radical generosity is actually the attitude in which we give. Look with me to verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that when we are giving, we should be giving in a way that we have planned in our heart to give cheerfully and willingly. The first thing that he says, actually, is that he calls us to be planned in our generous giving. Okay, let's be honest here. I, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but the moment the offering basket or, comes around or, or they say, oh, here, this is our time of offering, some of you may go into panic mode because right, this, this has happened to me, or we, we, we start checking our pockets, we, we start checking our wallets to see if we have a bill that we're, we're able and willing to, to give. And we get frantic because we're trying to figure out, okay, what can we give? This is what I did during college. I remember every time the offering basket came around, it uh, would go, and then I'd take out my wallet, and I'd be like, okay, what's in my wallet right now? And then sometimes there would be like a $100 bill, and I'd be like, oh, man, a $100 bill. Oh, do I really want, do you want to give that, right? And then I'd just go, ah, oh, I, I got to give it, right? So, so I'd give a $100 bill or something, right? But when the Apostle Paul talks about giving in a planned way, he's saying you, you don't, he doesn't want you to give out of compulsion, right? To give out of gift, I mean guilt. He wants us to give what's decided in our hearts. He wants us to have a planned effort in how we give of our offerings. You know, God doesn't want us to, to just give and just kind of fling our, our scraps or to, to just nonchalantly give away some of the things that we have. But instead, God wants us to be planned out in the way in which we offer up our offerings and our gifts. This year, Ashley and I, my wife Ashley, are celebrating our seven-year anniversary. Okay? We've actually been married only for seven years, but we've been together for including our dating years, about 14 years together, okay? And usually each year I would try to plan something special on our anniversaries, uh, but I, I don't really have the best track record when it comes to past anniversaries, right, or, or giving the best gifts to, to Ashley. But the one thing that I've learned is, is that what Ashley really wants when we celebrate these different occasions is not necessarily the gift that I might get her, but actually the thought of it all and, and the fact that I, that I might have planned it out. Ashley will probably tell you the, the, the most romantic thing that I've been able to do ever in, a, in our relationship together was I, I had planned this, this picnic that we had all to celebrate on our birthday. I know it sounds really cheesy and corny, okay, but, but I had this whole thing planned out where I, I bought a picnic basket, I, I, I got a, a nice blanket, and, and I got some fruits, I got a, a small little cake, it, and I'm not much of a cook, so I ordered some authentic Italian food because everyone knows Italian food is the most romantic things, right? You know, I, I grew up watching The Lady and the Tramp, and so you, know, you remember that scene right there? <laughs> and so, and so I, I was like, this is going to be a romantic date that we're going to have. And not to top it off, we were going to go to the summer concert where the boss Boston Symphony was going to be able to play, and we get to sit in the, around the grass and just kind of listen to, to the music that's being played, and so I thought, I had it all planned out, I was like, I, I'm so smooth, right, I'm like giving myself a pat on the back, right, and so we're, we're going, and I, I'm trying to surprise her, we, we go, and we drive all the way out there, it's like two hours away from where I, where I lived, and I get there, and I'm like, this is all going to go really well, and then I remember that I left the tickets in my room, okay. And then, so it took the next hour for us to try to get in because back in the day, they didn't have, like, the digital, like, tickets that you can go. So they had to look up, like, which credit card I use. And they were looking up in their system. And uh, luckily, they ended up finding my my reservation or my my tickets. And so they let me in. And so that wasn't the the smoothest ending to to that date. But Ashley will tell you that that was probably one of the most romantic things that I've done. But let's say instead of doing all of this, I ended up just going... And maybe in buying this expensive gift, maybe some jewelry for her birthday, with absolutely no thought put into it. I'm pretty sure she wouldn't enjoy that gift that much. She may enjoy it if it was like jewelry or something, but, but she may not enjoy it that much, okay? But if, let's say I, I did this where I, I call Ashley on the day of our anniversary, right, And I just ask her, you know, what's going on? And then she asks me this question of, okay, so, you know, are we doing anything for our anniversary? And then I'm like, oh. And I I lie and I say, yeah, we got an awesome date planned. And and I I run over to the the local Rite Aid or the Walgreens and I pick up the most generic card and then I give her the card and say, happy anniversary. And I say, hey, we can go wherever you want to eat, right? She'd be pretty pissed if I did that, right? Because she would realize that I had nothing planned. That I had nothing planned out for that that anniversary or or that birthday. And so she'd be angry with me. I think in the same way with God. God wants us to be generous givers, but to be planned in the way in which we give. To put real thought into into how we give of our gifts. And and not to think that we're just giving because we feel guilty about it, right? Or that we feel like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do as as a Christian. But to decide in our hearts that we truly want to give this gift to God into the building of his kingdom. And so maybe the next step for you is to thinking about in the way in which you give, can you be planned in the way you give? Really be intentional about thinking through the the amount that you're able to give, right, and to pray about it before you even give it. Think about it, maybe this month, okay, this is how much I'll be able to give, and I want to give it, and I want to be able to give it in a planned amount that I'm going to really think it through before I give. But another important part about our attitude in giving is that God calls us to be a cheerful giver. Right? God loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver or a person that gives only out of guilt. If anything, we're commanded to give of our tithes and our offering in that way, but God does not need our money to accomplish the things that He needs to. Right? God doesn't need our, our, our tithes and our offerings to do what He needs to, to accomplish what He wants in the kingdom of God. In all of this, what God is more concerned about is the heart and the attitude in which we are able to give. I heard this illustration from a colleague of mine. He probably will do a lot better than I can. But, but the word cheerful in the, in the Scripture comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is hilaros. Okay? And hilaros is, is the root word for, for what word? Hilarious, right? And what does hilarious mean? Hilarious means like what, uncontrollable joy, uncontrollable laughter, right? So essentially, the Apostle Paul is telling us that when we give, we are to give hilariously. Ha ha ha! Yeah, I can give, right? I'm so happy, I'm so joyful that I'm able to, to be able to give. That's the essence of what Paul is saying, is that we have this awesome opportunity to be able to give, and he's saying we give it with great joy, that we're we're laughing. You get the picture of of a farmer with his bucket, right? And he's able to give hilariously, (laughs) ha, 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 yeah, woohoo! there's going to be a great harvest that's going to come out, right? There's a sense that we give because there's this great joy that comes about. That's what the Apostle Paul is challenging us to, that our attitude in which we give is to give with this joy, that we give with a cheerful heart, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, right? That's what what God is calling us to be able to give. The final and the last principle in which we learn in this passage is that the Apostle Paul explains why we are to give Generously. And the reason Paul calls us to be generous people is because it's a natural response to the love of God. That generosity is a natural outpouring of our thanks to God for His sacrificial love for us. Financial generosity becomes a form of worship to our God, a worship of thanksgiving and praise. That's the main reason that Paul explains that we are to be generous givers. Right When we realize how generous God has been with us, it would move us to the point in which we want to be generous to the church, generous to others. Look with me to verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. See, this is a theologically rich statement that Paul is getting at here. Paul is saying that our generosity Is a type of obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. The word obedience in this is the key here, right? And the little translation of it is this this, this sense of constantly conforming your life and your practices to acknowledging here the gospel of Christ. Paul is making us ask this question. If Jesus sacrificed everything for me, died on the cross for my sins and my iniquities, paid for it all, and now if I am now loved and secure in Him, if I am saved by grace, how should that affect the way I live? How should that affect the, w- the way in which I give of my money and my possessions? Right? It's a pretty powerful question that we're left to ask ourselves. And I often think the posture that we initially take is actually quite immature and childish at times. Instead of responding to God's grace by being generous and opening up our arms, we often look back, look to hold back. A couple weeks ago, my daughter had her last day of school. Uh, For this past year, she attended a pre-K class at Eastside Christian School, and she loved her time there. Uh, but at the end of the year, the teachers would give, like, this little report card or, or just kind of an update on the student's, like, development and their growth and such. And so, the things like, you know, like, how well they can count or what number can they count up to, you know, how well do they write and, and, and all these different things. And, and, and so, for the most part, my, my daughter, Alyssa, received a very, very positive report, except this one comment, right, and, an area where she can grow in, right? And the tiger parent in me kind of came out, right? I was like, you didn't get 100%. Like, you should, right? no, I was just kidding. But I was thinking like, oh, she didn't get 100%, right? So, and so I was looking at the comment, looking at the report, and it said that, that the comment was, was that my daughter Alyssa, she, she could grow in being able to share more with her peers, right? And so I remember I, I read the report, and I went straight to my daughter who was playing with her Disney princess dolls, with Cinderella and, and Sleeping Beauty, Right? And so I asked her and I said, hey, could, could Daddy play with uh, one of your dolls? Right? And she says, uh, which one do you want? And I say, uh, I want Cinderella, because I know my daughter loves Cinderella. Right? And she says, hmm, how about you take Sleeping Beauty? Right? And I say, no, 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 I, but I, I really want Cinderella. Right? And she goes, hmm, no, no you, you can have Sleeping Beauty, right? And so she proceeds to just give me Sleeping Beauty, right? And then I pretend to cry and whine, and I'm like, No, I want, sl- I want Cinderella. I don't want Sleeping Beauty, right? And then my daughter says this to me. She says, You get what you get, and you don't get upset. <laughs> 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 totally puts me in my place, right? But if I think about it, my daughter has gone a long way when it comes to sharing, I remember when she was around two and a half, we were playing together, and I remember we were playing, and she was starting to get a little hungry, and at the time, I had a, a, a big bag of Cheez-Its, Cheez-Its right, and I, I love Cheez-Its, and so I was snacking on it, and then so we were playing, and then I, I saw that my, my daughter was getting, you know, a little bit hungry, she wanted to snack with me, and so I said, here, here here's my bag uh, of Cheez-Its, and she goes, thank you, Daddy, thank you, Appa, and, and I'm like, oh, she's so cute. And so then she's eating the Cheez-Its, and I was like, you know what? I want some too. So I go, hey, Alyssa, can I can I get get one of the Cheez-Its? And I don't know what this was, but somehow instinctively she goes and she takes the bag and she wraps her arms around it, and what does she say? She says, No, mine. (laughs) And I'm like, what? I I just gave you that. And I don't think, I just gave you this bag of cheese. It's not even your cheese, it's right? It's, it's my cheese. Yet you're going and you're instinctively saying, hey, it, it's mine. And if you think about it, that's often the posture that we often take with God. God's, God's given us so much, God's blessed us with such tremendous blessings upon our lives. Right? And then when He asks of us to, to go and share and to be generous with the blessings that we have, what do we do? We act like a child and we say, no, mine, this is, this is mine, it's not yours. Yet in, in all of it, God could be saying, I'm the one that gave it to you. You can't say that it's yours, I gave it to you. But yet we respond with this sense of, no, 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 it's mine. Don't, don't, talk, don't talk about money, because that's mine. I'm going to do whatever I want with it. But yet my God might be challenging us, hey, how can you become more generous? And how can you grow beyond being this child in the way that we look at it? And then another natural outflow of our generous giving is the fact that it attracts others towards God. It says in this verse that our service, which proves ourselves, leads others to praise God. And the word service is actually the Greek word diokonia, which is defined as costly and humble service. Our generosity becomes a sign to others that we're different and that allows others around us to come to know God in a powerful way. When you take a look at your financial giving right, and your generosity, does it make people look towards God? Does your generosity allow others to see how generous God is with us? Right? And do people look at your generosity and say, Wow, Christians are different. They're very different. We're called to live our lives in a way that reflects the love of God to others. Our generosity becomes a sign to the world of who God is and how God loves the world so much in the most generous of ways. And so we become a reflection of that when we become generous as well. I'm going to close with this last story. So during my undergraduate days, I attended Boston University, and there was this this really cool guy that that I met at the time, and his name was Paul, okay? And, and Paul was sort of this geeky guy from the New England area, and he, but he had this certain aura about him, right? He He just exuded the, the love of Christ to everyone he met. And so he had this spirit about him in which he really wanted to share the gospel with the other college students, and he felt like it was part of his mission, and he felt like that was his calling to be this missionary on campus, and he was someone that I definitely would, would, would admire and, and respect. And his passion became a light on the Boston University campus, where he felt intention. he decided to intentionally live in the freshman dorms, right? He was a senior at the school, and he had the chance to live in this new high-rise apartment that was just built, right? And he could have lived there and he would actually pay around the same amount of money that you would to be able to live in this high-rise apartment to live in, instead to live in the freshman dorms. So he was paying the same money, but he decided to sacrifice and decide to live on the freshman dorms. Right? And everyone was like, man, what are you doing? Like, this is a little too radical for me to, to do, right? There's something about this guy. But the craziest thing of what I heard when he decided to do that was that And as he was living on the freshman dorm, living on that floor with that, he was surrounded by all these freshmen. He he was an upperclassman. And in Boston, not many people have cars, okay? It's not like, I guess, UW. UW, it seems like everyone has cars, but, right? In Boston University, no one has a car. The only one that has a car are people who are either locals or they're upperclassmen. And so, this guy, Paul, he was a senior. He had a car, and what he did with that car was that he, he actually put up a sign-up sheet, and he said, everyone on our floor, you can have access to my car. If you just want to borrow it, you could just sign your name, take the keys, and go borrow the car. And he said, you know, the reason why you know, I, I, I want to do this is because I remember when I was a freshman that it was really difficult to go get the things that you need to and then have to lug it all back, back to your dorm. And so, I said, so he said, you know what, I want to be generous with this. And so he said, here, here, you can use my car, And everyone was like, what? This guy is crazy. Like, he's actually going to let us borrow his car. Is he some, like, kumbaya, hippie kind of guy? Like, what's what's the deal with him, right? And he was like, no, this is just my way to to love you guys. And so in the course of that semester, Paul then ended up starting a Bible study, studying through the Gospel of Mark. And he just invited people all along his floor to, to check it out. And it turned out that pretty much everyone on his floor came out to the Bible studies. And the reason why they said that they showed up was because they were like, we've never seen someone like, like Paul, where he was so generous with his possessions. He was so generous with us. In the course of that year, seven people on his floor came to know Christ, and they became followers of Christ. Here's this guy who's just this dorky, geeky guy from western Massachusetts who was able to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God through the way in which he lived, right? And the way in which he was generous with others. And that generosity pointed towards something even more important than himself. It pointed to the love of Christ. And because of that, people came to know Christ. Now, as you look at your own personal generosity would you say that your generosity is a true response to the way in which God has been so generous with each of us? Are you willing to take on this posture where we give of our time and our, and our money to the things of God's kingdom? Are you investing your treasures to something that will last for eternity? And are we giving without guilt or without a, a grudging spirit, but with a cheerful and joyful heart? We all have an opportunity to give generously and to grow in our obedience to God, but the question is more of, will you do it? Right? My, my hope and challenge is that you would pursue after obedience, you would pursue after growth by challenging yourself to become even more radically generous people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you knowing, God, that truth that of all the people that could be generous, of all, that you are the most generous. You are the most generous because you were the one that sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to come into our world, to live among us but ultimately to die on the cross, to lay down his life for each of us. And so we see your generosity with us. God, and I pray, Lord, that it would allow us to respond likewise, God, Lord, that we would be generous with you. We would be generous with the way in which we spend our time with you. We would be generous in the way in which uh, we give of our, our offerings to the building of your church and your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to continue in this journey of, of becoming generous people, God. And I pray, Lord, that through your spirit, God, that we would be transformed more and more into your likeness. And, Lord, that we would see, God, that our, our financial generosity is a sign of our spiritual growth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us in this journey and that you allow us to be followers of you that lay down our lives but also lay down uh, the things that, that hold us back, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.